0: Friends, Romans, countrymen, let me hear you. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the MC Lars podcast. This is episode 60 with Aaron Tonkin. It is October 21st, 2019. This year is just flying by and I can't believe we made it to episode 60. We had uh, Suzanne last week and we have Aaron this week. So we've had four women on the podcast so far. I want to make that a higher percentage. It's cool to talk to Aaron. She's a friend of my wife's and a friend of mine too. She made the speech at our wedding. She's a producer. She's a engineer. She's uh, amazing. She's worked with this guy, Tony Visconti, who was David Bowie's main producer friend. And so Aaron was kind of like his assistant, Tony's assistant. She did her undergrad at the NYU Clive Davis Institute. And she did a lot of work on Bowie's last record. Black Star. So she tells a lot of David Bowie stories. She talks about the changing industry. Um, she talks about what it was like to see David Bowie's work ethic as someone who looks forward and talks about what he's working on now, as opposed to like obsessing about his past work. And for someone with such an iconic discography, that's a really cool message for an artist. We end the podcast with a song from Black Star called "Tis a Pity She Was a Whore," That. Aaron sings on, and the title of that song is based on a 17th century play by John Ford. So that's what's up. So we'll get into that. I want to thank everyone who came to see me on the Oakley Doakley tour. Thank you, Oakley Doakley. Great tour mates, great turnouts, great venues. It was tight. I have an exciting announcement. I am going to Russia in a few weeks. The beginning of November, I'm doing a show in Moscow with my man John Thatcher Longley on the drums, a podcast classic guest and so i've never been there so yeah stay tuned we'll have stories about that adventure and uh, that's going to be cool so oh yeah be sure to check out the patreon patreon.com slash mclars i'm doing some mcu songs marvel cinematic universe songs this week and i want to give a shout out as always this episode is brought to you by the new patreon sponsors john e joshua wood and thomas maloney and shout out to the old ones keith davis lane heggie and Darth Benton. I really appreciate y'all helping me keep going. This is my interview with Aaron Tonkin, an amazing producer, amazing engineer, and an amazing friend. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Erin Alyssa Tonkin.
1: What's up, Lars?
0: Hey, what's up? Thanks for being on the podcast.
1: So happy to be here.
0: So you came over and the, you're the first guest to instantly recognize the mics.
1: Instantly. SM7B, little widely known fact, it was the Michael Jackson Thriller album. I don't know if we can talk about Michael Jackson anymore.
0: Are these mics canceled?
1: But uh, <laughs> I know one mic who is. And he
0: held, <laughs> that's good. He held the mic, right? When he was singing or was it on a s- stand?
1: I think he might have held it. <laughs> I <I'd> have <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Is that> a- <laughs> Michael Jackson. No, I don't know. I don't know. I usually see a lot of metal guys and women screaming I into these mics. I, holding feel like,
1: them. I feel like Michael Jackson. Uh, like, you know, we shouldn't. Yeah, you, know, you can. You can hold them, you know.
0: That's right. Um, I do a lot of my vocals right here at this desk because with Logic and the plugins, I can just, it sounds fine yeah you know and I sometimes go in the closet behind you and record in there but the role of a producer takes that Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and that's what I want to ask you about if I'm right and takes a thousand of those or a hundred of those little home recordings in the studio finds out what's special about them Mm -hmm. makes them sonically great and tries tries to recapture that magic in a way that is timeless that's my understanding of a producer what is yours
1: I think that's like a a really good understanding. Um, I always start with people because people have a better understanding of like film for some reason. Like it's kind of like the director of a film. Like you are the creative controller basically of everything that's happening. Yeah. Um, and, And sometimes it looks different for different people. I'm a producer that comes from a heavily engineering background. So I'm have a lot of that that I bring into it. Some producers come from strictly, you know, an artist or songwriter. So they might not be thinking as much about engineering choices, but, you know, they they come from different backgrounds. So that's a great, you know, description that you just said. But yeah, like the kind of the creative control and the overseer. And, you know, at times you're an arranger. At times you are, you know, making sonic choices from, you know, microphones to compression to whatever outboard gear at times you are a therapist, you know? It just takes puts on whatever hat is needed for the artist.
0: And in some cases, sometimes you are, Mm -hmm. not in your case, obviously, a a drug dealer. Absolutely. A provider of clothes, like helping with their lifestyle image. Sure, sure. And it's very interesting that looking back, like you used the movie industry analogy was good, but looking back in the day, it used to be such that the producers were also involved in generating the money, and that's kind of been relegated to both the artist and the label now more so, don't you think? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I, I guess from a money standpoint. Oh, sorry, I just hit the mic. Rookie mistake. <laughs> rookie mistake. Um, from a from a money standpoint, I am often dealing with. Okay, here's the budget. I have a manager who helps. But like, here's the budget. What studio can we use at this cost? How much do we have to do at my studio? How much can I retain from this? How much do we have to pay, you know, if if we need to hire session musicians or stuff like that? So there is still um, a deal in which I need to know how to like manage money, but I'm not, yeah. I'm not raised I'm not in, tr- in control of getting the money. You
0: don't it's, have to generate it. No. And that's the experience with a lot of people listening to this podcast. It's a lot of like, you know, Kickstarter and a lot of like, when, a lab- when your music's too weird for a label, you're mm-hmm. going to have to figure out how to create it and release it. And mm-hmm. sometimes you can't afford the Aaron Tonkins. Sometimes you can't afford like the producers who get you the good studio. And that sometimes your project suffers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can do it DIY, but I always found my best stuff was always with people in a good studio who were able to give it that polish. Totally. You know? And so what are ways artists finance working with you?
1: I mean, I think you know there. There's there's great stuff like Kickstarter. I mean, this is you know this is a it's an it's an awkward conversation because yeah. we're all out here kind of struggling. You know, it's it's um and if there's not a label behind it, there are some some artists that I will take on that don't necessarily have the budget and and we're all kind of working on a sliding scale for one thing. You know, but that's not to say, and I don't want to say that like people deserve to be paid for what they do and they just des- if they're at a certain level, they do deserve to be paid. Um, properly but if, if someone doesn't have you know the budget to hire a big producer a big studio I always say you know get the most important thing in a great song is like a great arrangement you know, and, mm. and if you can focus on, you know, a really great song is going to translate if you record it, you know, at Electric Lady or if you record it in your second bedroom. You know, I mean, a great song is going to translate. It might not be able to get radio play, you know, but if you if you have a great song and you can get people to listen to it, um, it you know, throwing all the money at it is, is not going to not going to make the difference between a good song and a bad song. Mm,
0: right. That's really like a bad script. Exactly. Exactly. not going to make a great movie. Exactly.
1: If you, I mean, you know, I mean, think about Daniel Johnston who just died, you know, I mean, phenomenal music, some of the worst recordings you'll ever hear, right? you know, but, but great songs that like stand the test of time. Now that's not to diminish what I do and, and the power of a really well recorded, well mixed, beautifully sounding song. And, um, you know, that comes down to reaching out to people that you admire their work. And there are also really talented people that aren't necessarily at the top of their game or, you know, you might be surprised as to what some people charge, you know, or how some people are willing to work with you. There, again, there are artists that I'm really inspired by that I'm willing to come up with some sort of a deal to work with them.
0: How common is it for a label or an artist to pay a producer less on the front end, front end but for he or she to get points on the back end? Does that still happen?
1: It still happens and I definitely have some deals like that, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's not a great deal on, from my perspective, because points don't translate the way that they used to, you know, so we'll definitely negotiate that and that's a way to say like, okay, you respect me for my time and you are willing to say like you are deserving of, of um you know sharing in a part of this music if it if it is successful, but that's doesn't have the negotiating power that it used to.
0: Because you're like, okay, that's nice of you, but it's not like um when uh Steve Albini was like he wasn't gonna get the in utero royalties. Mm-hmm. That was more of a like, oh shoot, are you serious, bro? Right. That was a different era.
1: Right. That was a different era. That that doesn't you know now it comes down to if you get sort of sync licenses into ah. it television or film or commercial, that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about points nowadays is a cut of that.
0: And so here's a question. If you're in a studio and you play like some chords on the piano or come up with a riff, are you the type of producer who asks for publishing or is it kind of like, these are my services, it's all inclusive?
1: Uh, For me, that's a part of my services, for sure. You know, and I will throw in input. Um, Again, I'm not... A producer though that comes from a heavy songwriting background. Mm. So I don't. There there are producers that are producers slash songwriters that that might say, "Hey, I wrote that chord. That was my idea. I you know own this percentage." But for me, it's like I'm not doing that constantly. Yeah, and, uh, and that's I think that's part of my it's part of my job.
0: And I found it's very uh, the most awkward thing. I found is trying to talk about percentages of who wrote what on a song after the fact because everyone's going to want more. And if you give them a little bit, they're going to want, you know what I'm saying? You give someone 6.7%. It's like, it gets really weird.
1: Yeah, it gets (laughs) crazy, And it's, it's, I think it's just best to clarify everything on the front end. You know, that's the best way to do it because, uh, you know, I my concern and like why I ended up like getting a manager to deal with all the money stuff is like, Part you know I need to be the good guy and I want to be that and I you know you be, you maintain a relationship with artists and you get really close with people that you're working with and I don't want to have to bring in these ugly conversations about money and start going toe to toe about uh, what what things look like after the
0: fact right because yeah that's helpful having a manager Aaron because it's it's it can so easily at more than in any other industry we tour together we all hang out together it can get weird sure quickly
1: and i think the answer to that is is just figure out everything on the front end and just i was taught like when i was in school like always have a con- i don't always have a contract but it's good advice and sometimes when i have really had one especially if it's someone you're close to it, mm-hmm. it really helps just get that conversation out the get-go and just whatever, it could just be an email. It doesn't have to be this formal thing. It could be like, right. okay, so we're agreeing to like, we're splitting the publishing on this song 50-50. Or we're agreeing like, you get the publishing, but I'm, you know, you're paying me this up front, you know, and that's right. the deal. Or, you know, whatever, just something in writing so that you just don't have to think about anymore. You can focus on what's important, which is like creating music.
0: Songs that you care about.
1: Exactly. And
0: this is what's interesting, I've found, younger producers and mcs and I, when I was young it was like this is like so inconceivable that you ever make a dime mm-hmm. off what you create mm-hmm. so to like negotiate money seems like unnecessary but anyway this b- business stuff you've got your you got your head together on that Empire Aaron
1: Thank you Andrew
0: <laughs> let me talk let's talk about speaking of first things first you went to call you went to NYU I did and you studied music.
1: Yeah, I studied, uh, I went to the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music, at, which is at Tisch at NYU. And uh, and yeah, my, my I have a Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Recorded Music. That's a pretty really
0: <laughs> specialized it's degree.
1: Highly specialized. I believe it's the only recorded music degree that exists.
0: Wow. Did um, Richard Good Goose, did he go there too? Yes. Was he in the Clive Davis School? Yes. Oh, but you didn't know him till after we
1: went at different times. Oh, okay. um, he's I, older. I took yeah. a little. I took a little detour. Okay. You know, and then and then wound up back in school. So I was so a wait. Old. So
0: you took a little detour before college. In, in the middle of
1: college. Understandable.
0: I did at the end of college. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know.
0: That's pretty tight. <laughs> so okay. So you graduated with your BA in.
1: B F A, sorry. B F A
0: in fine arts what is it?
1: (laughs) I earn those twenty extra credits or whatever. Bachelor of Fine Arts in recorded music.
0: And did you know you wanted to be a producer? Or what was your dream? That was your dream. Yeah. And then suddenly you were working with Bowie. Well
1: that was while I was in school.
0: Wow. Yeah. Let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. So I went to, I mean, I knew I wanted to be a producer since I was like 16. It was, uh, you know, and I uh, initially went to Emerson College in Boston, left to deal with personal demons and and then went back to school at uh, NYU. And um, I had, while I was away from school, I had interned at a bunch of recording studios, really got into engineering, you know, Kind of knew my way around, learned Pro Tools, got really proficient in that, and then I went to Clive Davis and all the other students were kind of like getting internships. They were like 18 years old, getting their feet wet. I was like 22 when I started there, and um, and that you know one of my professors, Nick Sansano, who's a big producer, he he did like a lot of Sonic Youth records and a bunch of really awesome stuff. Belbiv Devoe, he mm. produced. Classic, diverse roster. Diverse roster, (laughs) (laughs) got to diversify. Anyway, so he was saying to me, he's like, you should really, um, you should find a mentor. You know, you need, you've already interned at studios, you've done, you've done all that. You need to find someone that can really show you the ropes of how to be a producer. Mm. And so he asked me to sort of give him a list of names of producers I admired. Um, And on the top of that list was Tony Visconti, who um, has done the vast majority of David Bowie's records, Also did T-Rex, then Lizzie Morrissey, um, Gentle Giant, just like a ton of amazing Mm. bands. And uh, so Nick reached out to him and we didn't hear back for a while uh, because they were actually in the process of releasing The Next Day, which was Bowie's first record after 10 years. It was highly secretive. The album came out. Tony finally hit me back up and said he'd love to meet me and interview. Um, So I... Came to him, I brought him, like, my reel, we talked, and he said, cool, like, I want to take you on as my summer intern. You start, you know, next week. Um, And, you know, and my first day on the job, I get into the studio, and he goes, "I I want you to sit down for a second. Uh, we have a client coming in today and it's David Bowie. And, and I was like, oh, I mean, I grew up with posters of him on my wall, right. you know, and this was my, my first day working for a big producer. And he said to me, you know, you probably just have to like, wait, you know, you'll maybe wait outside. We'll see if you can come say hi to him, whatever. And um, David got there and, you know, immediately welcomed me in and had me, you know, join in on the session. And then, my you know, goodness. it was, I was hired full time after a month and, you know, five years later
0: so that was an example one of your like examples of showing up and being ready and believing in yourself sure like a a main opportunity that would you wouldn't have if you hadn't i don't know it seems like that's a very rare not many that's like a a dream story come true for musicians
1: totally totally and i had like really major tough life stuff happen you know before i got to that point and um it really made me feel like I was in the right place, you know, but it was, it was terrifying, you know, and I really had to like suit up and show up. And it's that, you know, that thing like s- luck is opportunity meets preparation or whatever, you yeah. know, and that was like, just, you know, luck had little to do with it. I was, I was in the right place at the right time, but I was, I was prepared and I, um and I was good at what I did.
0: Right. That's important. And it's this interesting thing, Aaron, that I feel like our, well, I'm a little older than you, but like, we're you know a similar the same generation. It's mm-hmm. this question of if I'm going to go to college and I or my parents are going to invest in this mm-hmm. bachelor's of arts or fine arts, is it worth it to take a gamble on media and the arts, or should sure. I just do marketing? Sure. And I think that's a great That's something Ashley and I talk about constantly. Yeah. That like she's like, well, if we ever had a family, we'd want I'd m- want that kid to be a scientist and an mm-hmm. engineer. So yeah. otherwise, it's not worth paying for college. And like oh man it's like that's a wild thing to think as someone for me because I think that Ashley's right so many people would agree with her that becoming a producer is an uncertain job but it's something you had a talent for you believed in you found opportunities for you're doing full time and like what would you say to a young person who's trying to figure all this out If maybe a young woman or man who's in your shoes in college listening who's trying to think okay should I do the arts thing or should I do business
1: Well, I mean, you know, for me, it was a question of I knew I needed to be in New York. And Mm. uh, the only way I was going to get there is if I were to to go back to college. And my parents were very, very uh, insistent on me getting a college degree. All my mentors at the time before I went back to school, all the people I worked at in studio said, you absolutely do not need a degree to do this. And that's very true. But what it got for me, particularly going to the school I went to, was connections. I had no connections in the music industry. Um, and, and connections are kind of everything, you know, it's, it, it is, you know, there's a lot of talent out there, but if you don't, can't get your foot in the door or can't get to the right people, unfortunately, and it's like a, I think it's like a travesty, but you can't, you're not going to get anywhere. So Mm -hmm. for me, um, it was a very expensive route to, to important connections. And, you know, I, my, I was very, very fortunate to be able to focus the amount of time that I was able to focus on, on doing what I wanted to do. At the same time I was working full time while I was in school full time and it was exhausting. I actually got very sick after it, you know, out of sheer exhaustion from Mm. working so hard, but, um, you know, you do what you need to do to get ahead. So, you know, you don't, you don't need a degree to do this, but you do need to put yourself in the position to, um, be noticed.
0: Mm, that's good. So maybe,
1: and I will say this too. Yeah, yeah. It, It's 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 fraught at this time, and with with all the drama around college loan debts and and everything like that. But you know, my parents said to me, like, it's hard to get. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I don't know. I, I struggle to say this, but it is it is harder when you don't have a college degree to get a lot of jobs. So it was it was mm. it kind of doesn't matter what degree you have. Sometimes just having a degree can ensure you used to ensure you now can sort of is a little bit of an extra benefit to like having a life where you can make a living i know that you know nowadays like we were told that if you go to college you'll make a good living and be able to afford a house and a family and that's not the case anymore but right it it's not well, gonna hurt
0: it can be if you do something super practical sure, sure. and are like very only fortune focus on this the skrill the money right but that sucks i don't know that's that, I mean, that's easy to say it's both people who got our, didn't do, doing, didn't do like engineering degrees. Right. But I'm so happy with all the friendships music has brought me. I met your mutual, your friend, my wife. Yeah. Ashley through doing music. Absolutely. And like all my best friends, all my favorite people. And you gave the amazing, a maid of honor speech at the wedding, which was like it was so beautiful because like. You've been a big part of our friendship. You were like Ashley's first friend I met other than her band.
1: Yeah, I was the first to even hear about you the night you two <laughs> met. She was texting me about it.
0: Uh-oh. That was yes. Yeah, there was some
1: there was some drama.
0: Hey, I know. And then caused I caused
1: t- a little drama.
0: Well, yeah. But we're
1: so happy to have you as part of the <laughs> Thank family. You. Thank young you.
0: you. You bought you were always very nice to me from the beginning. And Probably. I knew it was like, oh, Ashley has cool friends. Okay. She's cool.
1: Absolutely. I approved, you know.
0: Thank you. I feel so emotional. Well, I Uh, didn't know we'd get into that, but, um, okay. So something I'm guilty of with this podcast is that most of my interview subjects are dudes Mm -hmm. and it's something I'm working to remedy. Mm -hmm. I think you're maybe like the fourth woman on the show Mm -hmm. out of 60. Yikes. And so that's not a very good percentage. No. So.
1: But it is a pretty better than. Zero. (laughs) It's, it's a better percentage than the number of women that are actually doing what I do in. In the music industry.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: I think, and I'm asked this question all the time, and I do many, many panels on this topic, but I, I really think it's a it's an issue of visibility, you know? And I think that when we're kids, we look to do things where we see po- people like us doing those things. And that's why I think there's like such a huge need for, you know, diversity in, in all fields so that kids can look and see like, oh, someone like me is doing that, you know? And there there are very few, it's traditionally and an old boys club, you know, I and mean, the music industry was built on racism, predominantly sexism heavily, you know, and a, and a lot of like bad stuff that is also like super emblematic of America's history, you know, and the music industry just kind of followed that. And um, I think people don't think women are good at technical stuff. I think that uh, people don't think women can take charge in situations or can't be trusted to be sort of like the creative oversight. And, um, I think as a result, it just, it just became this thing where I think they said 2% of producers, engineers are, are female, which is like,
0: wow, that's huge. low. Yeah. That's it's very low.
1: really, really low. Um, and I think you know a lot of women were pushed out early on, and and you know also like the hours can suck. It's hard to have a balance, which is something that I struggle with. Um, you know, but that should be the case for anyone, not just for women. Do
0: you think there's something with the expectations with uh, having kids too? Sure, you know, it's like the lot of the shit the nurturing falls on the wife on the woman, but that's not necessarily fair. So that precludes them to sure. these long hours.
1: I mean, I had someone, I'm not going to name names, but someone early in my career say to me, you need to choose now. Do you want a family or do you want a career? This person has been married three times and has four children, but th- they're, they're wow. male. Um, you know, and I said, hold on a second. How come, how come, you know, I didn't say this, but I thought in my head at the time I said career, you know, now I've, I've walked that back, you know, but, yeah. um, but that's not fair. You know, I should you I know. believe I should be able to have both.
0: It's yeah, I agree. I believe that that too. And also with the ability to be in charge of your own schedule, your own production, not relying on big labels and big studios. Sure. Being able to be more independent sure. with your own ventures kind of makes that possible, right?
1: Absolutely. Like
0: if if that's something you want.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and it is, you know, I have a lot of independence in my career. Sometimes it sucks, you know, because there's not a lot of security and there's no benefits. And there's times of, you know, there's a lot of times of famine, sometimes of small feasts, but, you know, mostly a lot of, of <laughs> famine. Um, yeah. But, you you know, you learn to – you learn how to make it work, you know, and, and, and I'm taking steps to – to provide some sort of security for my future, you know, in my career.
0: So you're doing some entrepreneurial stuff, and I know a lot of this is private, but mm-hmm. like maybe say a, a, like a tiny bit about like your thought process and in pivoting into that space, and how that's influenced and and maybe helped or taken away from your other projects. Like how's that been?
1: Sure. So I'm I'm super. I'm I'm starting a company. I have a couple business partners, and and a lot of it I can't talk about. But what I can say is. Um, you know, we, we are all people who have been in the music industry for a certain amount of time and, you know, notice some problems, including like a lack of community, a lack of affordable, but high quality places to work. Um, and all these people with common needs, like all these people saying in New York, especially like we want community, I know for myself, I'm always scrambling to find the right studio for the right project and one size doesn't fit all, you know, and, and, um, there's a lot of people that, that are in the same, same position where we can't afford, you know, a $4,000 a month studio rent or to build out a, you know, million dollar studio and all this stuff. And it's like, how can we make something, create something that creates community, creates workspace and, um, And also kind of creates a task force of people to like go talk to Congress about having some sort of rights for musicians against Mm. Spotify or having some sort of rights for producers. I mean, producers have no rights, you know, and and all these big problems and and all these things I've learned through the years. So it's kind of this like threefold effect. And basically we're starting it. It's a multi multiple recording studio members club. Um, So, our our goal is to, you know, foster community, provide really amazing shared workspaces, do cool events, cool programming, you know, mentorship, and... um, and kind of just get everyone together and starting in New York and hopefully going all over the world to like really take back the music industry. You know mm. I mean? These people that are, that are running it, that are calling all the shots are, are screwing us all over. And we are the people that are actually creating the music and we are the like ones that Yeah. <laughs> and we are the ones that actually, actually have the power, you know? So we need to like kind of take that back.
0: Well, I think that's so cool, Aaron. And I think that goes back to something you said earlier on the podcast is, a, so- a good song means everything. Mm-hmm. A good music community means everything. Mm-hmm. And I am so... I don't get mad a lot about a lot of things, but I, having been doing this for 13 years, 16 years actually, like mm-hmm. seeing the shift where the streaming services, YouTube, Facebook, all the corporations that monetized our attention and siphoned it away, then were able to decide what the monetary value was on what people like you and I cr- create. Mm-hmm. And... Back in the day it was a little more transparent because like I was very pro-Torrenting back in the day, you know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. as a way to get people to come see me. And now it's like it's not so clear because you see you're on Facebook like, oh, this band is indie. Cool. Let me check out this video they're streaming, but it's not clear who's making the money and mm-hmm. why. And it's 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 a less it's this idea that everything's DIY, but it's so mediated. Sure. And so it's like having advocacy groups like that really are important i think a good example is um patreon is mm-hmm. a great way to like advocate for jack saw saw okay we need to have this intermediary Thing where people can monetize their work better and so it sounds like that's cool like creating platforms and opportunities like that and physical space is mm-hmm. really needed
1: and affordable you know it's, yeah. it's it's big on affordability high high quality but affordability like this every aspect of the music industry has has changed for better or for worse to me mm-hmm. like this modern digital era except for like the recording studio and and i love a yeah. big beautiful recording studio but yeah. it's not Right for everyone at all times and i don't need a big huge studio to record overdubs you know and it's um you know it's it's we're we're doing we're doing a lot but but what you said like absolutely it's it's it was we were just the rug was pulled out from under all of us yeah and And, it was yeah you know there's all this stuff now with like spotify making artists thank them for putting them on playlists or something i mean it's sick it's like art art Spotify like tells you you have to thank them publicly for putting them on playlists mm. it's like what is that playlist you know, it's all everything's about getting on a playlist now sure, are you kidding that's me it.
0: And then intermediary companies that promise you that put you on a playlist take 20% and then Oof. don't deliver and then when you call them out on a conference call blame you for making a album about literature for not being marketable <laughs> hypothetically speaking
1: Sure hypothetically <laughs> So I don't know like, anyone who matches that description
0: I'm I'm so grateful that I've been able to 30% of my income, especially in years when I was really touring, came from that. So sure. you I know, think warp yeah. tour and all those opportunities. Yeah. And like that's exhausting.
1: Exhausting.
0: Yeah. But it's also it's cool to have people like hear the songs and meet the fans. And I wonder, like, what's it like to be kind of the Wizard of Oz, the the cloak woman creating everything? When do you do you ever feel that connection with with the fans? And like what's it like birthing the albums you work on?
1: I mean, for me, I get like, you know, pleasure from watching the artists I work with succeed. Or I mean, for me, like the big show with the audience cheering is like the artist saying like, oh, my God, this is the album I always dreamed of making. And like, we did it. And like, thank you. You know, that's 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 the stage for me. Like, that's that's all I can ever ask for, you know, and then knowing that people are listening to that music and connecting to it and knowing that I was a part of making that come to fruition is is what I want. Like, I I knew early on that I didn't want to be the person in the band on the stage, you know? And uh, I think that's an important thing to know about yourself. And I think there are mm. a lot of producers and engineers that did want to be rock stars and that can be a hindrance at times. Um, I'm doing what legal. I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, and, and I'm doing what... I wanted to do, and I, I just feel so privileged to be able to do this for my job, you know. It's and and to for people to trust me, you know, with their like most vulnerable moments and their most mm. vulnerable pieces of work, and be able to translate that to, to you know, whoever will end up listening.
0: So when so so seeing the artists be happy when the albums out or going to their show or mm-hmm. reading good press, like these are all ways. Whereas like being like the midwife of the project, sure. you've been you're able to vicariously enjoy the thrill of it being received.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I like to know what went into that, you know, and know the blood, sweat, and tears, so to speak, that, you know, usually literally went into it. And, right. And, um, and it's a lot of work. And, and yeah, I mean, that's just, that's my goal. Is I'm, I'm of service to the artist. And everything else is just icing,
0: I think that's cool. Do you ever talk to an artist about their content? Like, oh, I don't think those lyrics are appropriate or do you really want it? Like, do you give their artists input on their what, lyrics ever?
1: For me, like my my sort of whole mm, philosophy is like, again, like I am of service to the artist. Mm-hmm. and And it depends on the artist. Some artists say, look... I am set in stone about what I wrote. This is what it's gonna be. And and I will state my position and my beliefs, but I'm not gonna sit there and argue and, and get in, you know, a fight over it. If they they are the artists, if they truly believe in their vision, then I gotta respect that. If they're willing to fight for it, then, you know, absolutely. But um generally, you know, that's part of my job is to say like, hey, like this would, you know, work better here, or maybe we could cut out some of these lyrics and and um, that's the ideal sort of position to be in. But I do respect when an artist is very, you know, headstrong about about what they wrote, and and you know, it's it's sometimes it's like a painting, and it has to be just so. And sometimes, mm. sometimes I'm wrong, you know, and sometimes they're right.
0: Yeah, right. And and it's also like every that's interesting. Every little, that's a good metaphor. Every little piece of the album might be this painting that, as a producer. Sometimes they probably want to abdicate that vision to you, but sometimes they want to keep it close and reveal slowly what it is they're trying to create, and so you're yeah. walking that tightrope huh
1: sure, and it's i mean it's and sometimes it's tricky i mean I have had i have sat sat back when I should have fought harder in the past, and something did not turn out the way that that it should have and in hindsight, the artist maybe realized I was right, you know, and I've learned to be a bit more a bit more um a bit more strong in my position, mm. but um, but you know, I'm not there to like bully people. And there's, I mean, I've had labels say to me like, "You need to turn this into like a pop record." And I'm just like, that's just, I'm not, right. I'm not gonna do that because this person is not a pop artist, and it would be completely inauthentic. And and I don't even think they'd be good at doing pop. You know, that's not what they do well. You know, but in the effort of selling records, some you know labels have even said to me like, "We want you to push it in this direction." And uh, I'm—I don't believe in that. I believe in right. taking the arrangements and making them as as best as they can be. Um, and it's more like—it's more like you know, adding color to something or like sculpting than it is like creating something from you know. That's how I see like what I do. It's like the sculpting. Yeah, they bring me like the block, and I kind of help chip away.
0: Or you act as the hands, and they tell you where to chip, right? sure, something sure. like that. Sure. Um. What do you think is the best produced album of all time? Whoa,
1: whoa, big question. Do you ever
0: think about that?
1: No, I don't. Interesting. Is that, is, is that like I don't have a yeah. I, I I There are there are productions that I'm a huge fan of, but I used to be. Uh, I grew up like really heavily worshiping, like you know, like Velvet Underground and David Bowie and all these, you know, huge, you know, awesome bands and artists that everyone loves you know um and and really like being this sort of like my friend one time described as like cultural cultural necromancy you know where you're just digging up old court and you know i'm just obsessing over them and 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 for me like i try to keep an open mind now like there's cool stuff happening now and to say that something is the best produced record of all time like it's so limiting because it's like, well, what kind of record is it? Like, mm. what was the intention of that record? Like, is it best produced for for the songs that are on that record? You know, or does it sound really great? Or, you know, I, I just I just think that that's it's an unfair question. <laughs> question yeah. I can't answer it.
0: I know people tend to like. It's interesting though. People will have an opinion that they feel reflects their brand, right?
1: Sure. And I that's why I've tried to like like let go of.
0: Yeah. I I'll I'll tell you mine.
1: Yeah, tell me. Okay. It's um
0: Great Malenko by Insane Clown Posse. Okay.
1: Well, because you know. It's very, I know you Andrew. Very,
0: very much a step up for them. Okay. Sounds great. Uh-huh. It's just you listen to that record, it's special. But like you're talking about cultural listen ne- to it. Necromancy. Yeah, it's well produced. It's it's came at the end of it came at the well, we don't have to get in the whole ICP talk. But when I it heard came to you was, on your
1: rants, actually will have something to say about this.
0: <laughs> it was pre new metal. Okay. But it was but like Steve Jones from Sex Pistols is on it. Alice Cooper. Oh wow. It has Slash plays on it. Wow. So it has a lot of cool guitar sounds without being too it's not like rap rock. Okay. And it's very funny and weird. Awesome. So but my point is that like, you know, that album also was a big commercial success for them. And I have a nostalgic memory of it. Sure. And so those two things influence my opinion of it. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's, it's easy to be nostalgic for older music. And I think as a producer, you can't fall into that trap of being like, oh, music peaked in the 70s.
1: Right. And that's when I was a, you know, a teen. That's how I was. And it was of no service to myself. Right. You know? And I've, I've dropped that. And, but it's true. I mean, it's the, you, you argued my point exactly. It is so deeply personal what an album does to you. I mean, I can't tell you my favorite artist. You know, it depends on the day. Wow. You know, sometimes I'm bummed and I'm into one thing. Sometimes I'm stoked and I want to listen to 90s hip hop. You know, it's like, right. it depends on, it depends on the day. So I, I it's, t- it's too personal and too f- fluid for me to, to land on something. I, I wish I could, but I, I just can't think that way.
0: And I wonder if you agree with me on this it's that's cool that's like this this abdication of um needing to control and quantify and delineate like the merit of certain cultural mm-hmm. milestones mm-hmm. um i like to surround myself with people who don't talk about oh the music industry is so unfair it's all going to hell blah 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 versus saying well it's music is a powerful thing we don't understand it mm-hmm. maybe we can do other things and flex be flexible and figure out how to be involved with it mm-hmm. and i think that like that's important, too. Like, instead of looking back at how we albums sold more 15 years ago, okay, what can we do to, like, make sure. more music cheaply, right? Yeah, or I mean, something.
1: that time, it's that, gone. It's over. It, we're never going to go back to how it was 15 years ago. Yeah. And I think that someone younger than you and I is going to figure out how to, like, really, you know, profit – for everyone to profit off of music again in the way that, that people once did. But you know, my interest is in how can we make it better? You know, and it's it's kind of, it's the Wild West right now. I mean, there are yeah. good things about it. Like we have, I mean, I remember how hard it was you know, to, f- to find good, I mean, even when we had like torrenting, you know, you, I thought like Bittersweet Symphony was by Oasis for 10 right. years because like <laughs> LimeWire told me, it- I mean, you know, it was like, it was, yeah. it was difficult, you know, and now we can just access anything at any time. And that's so cool. And I'm, I'm at times envious of kids nowadays right. because they're so open to so much, you know, and I had to really, we had to really search, you know, before all that even. And,
0: uh, yeah.
1: You know, so it's a but yeah. I, I think we should make it better, and it's it's our duty as as music creators.
0: Because I find the real people, the lifers with the music industry, even if they end up doing side hustles or whatever, they can't stop being infatuated and in love with music and awed by the mystery and the fact that it's like it's like it's like an ocean or like a, it's like the sun. You can't you can appreciate it, but you can never bottle it and own it, and so much people industry people like to bottle and quantify things and be like oh that flopped that sucks oh that's mm-hmm. so last year mm-hmm. just they they try to out cool themselves by hating on things and that yeah. is i don't industry i wonder if as a producer you you are abjured from that like you don't have to be around those that kind of business vibes
1: there's a lot of people that are around it i'm not around it cuz i cho- like i i made a decision early on to work with more indie artists you know or or Left of center, I hate that term, but you know, just I, I don't work in the pop world. Yeah, um, and I, I made that conscious decision. And at times, I'm like, damn, I wish I worked in the pop world. You know, they're right. they're doing all right, but uh, I, I can't I can't have those conversations about we need you to sound like this and we want it to be this way and work for this spot. You know, work in, in a commercial like that. I mean, I can't I can't work that way, and I don't want to work with artists that think that way. because no. that's not what I love about music and like that's not what took like a depressed you know 14 year old and gave me some sense of purpose in life and uh i want to like i want to sustain that and make music that does that and so i just you know maybe to my own detriment but i've sort of absolved myself from being a part of of that conversation for the most part it comes up but
0: uh having a good manager can be a nice buffer for that huh yeah good business team
1: yeah and i chose my manager not because she was the person that chose me you know she wasn't the person that promised me the most money she was the person that promised me that um she believed in my vision and and who i you know as a producer wanted to be and what i wanted Mm. to maintain and and that i could say yes or no to you know for any reason to any project and um and she'd let me you know very, you know, if I needed to come down on my rates because I really believed in someone, she'd let me do that.
0: And that's cool. I, yeah. Um, talking about growth and change, something that I don't know if you've talked about on podcasts. Maybe you have. Something we have in common is neither of us drinks. It's true. And I think that's tight.
1: It is pretty tight.
0: Some people drink is fine, but yeah. Um, and I think you've been for how many years have you not
1: nine years oh my god
0: nine years yeah props to you erin thank you that's amazing
1: yeah it was a big uh i got sober when i was 19 years old and i was heavily addicted to drugs and alcohol and um you know i i had a suicide attempt and um it wasn't my first but you know the final one kind of bottomed me out so to speak and um i was you know Something opened up in my head where I was willing to give another kind of life a shot. And I'm so grateful I did because, man, these last nine years were not to have been missed. You know, it's crazy that at 19 years old, I thought there was nothing left to live for. And mm. like what's happened in the last nine years, like it, 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 you know, it terrifies me that it almost never happened, you know. And, um, and I mean, in this industry, you know, we see people you know, we see people die all the time. I've lost probably 30 friends since I got sober, especially with like heroin, you know, mm. it's terrifying. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're here. Yeah. You know, and
0: yeah, and that's, that's heavy stuff. And I think that in the industry, especially the entertainment industry and the music industry, there's this idea where if I put on a very happy face and make everyone laugh sure. or make everyone feel a certain way, then I don't have to actually deal with what's going on. And if I can then mask that with substances then i'm numb to the fact that this is like creating this um discordant feeling you know yeah and i think that like it's really cool to ha- talking about community having friends in the sober community who are also in the entertainment community and totally it's i wonder like how that is for you when you're working do bands ever say hey aaron let's have a beer or is it is it weird or they kind of just respect that oh am you're here to work I mean, most people
1: heavily respect it, and I and I'll usually, you know, I don't go into detail with everyone, but I'll usually say like, yeah, I actually I don't I don't drink, I don't do drugs, and I've actually been sober for a while, um, because you never know who's gonna maybe hear that and think like, oh, damn, really? And sometimes people ask a lot of questions. Sometimes people say, oh, that's cool, but I'm very rarely met with any negativity about it. But like what you're saying before, mm-hmm. like I grew up where uh, I grew up in like a kind of DIY like punk indie rock scene and and the darkness was really sort of celebrated you know and and for me it was figuring out another way of life where I don't have to you know it's so much creativity is associated with you know I see you as someone that is so joyful and happy and you have that community you know and I know that that sometimes that isn't that's hard to keep up as you just said Mm, you know and we do things and um and we do things to sort of counterbalance that. And to see you lead with such positivity is so, like, inspiring. And and it's cool that that can be celebrated now, you know? And, like, in the scene that I came from, like, that wasn't necessarily celebrated. Um, mm. And, and uh, you know, it was cool to, like, be depressed and suicidal. And all our idols were, right? You know? And, like, right my idols have kind of changed and most of those idols ended up getting sober, or dying really young, you know, so.
0: Usually one or the other.
1: Right, right. And I th- I mean, like half the industry is sober. The other half probably needs to be, you know, for the most. They're, they're the exceptions, but.
0: Yeah, and I thought of an interesting, like, turn of a phrase, like your idols are sometimes secretly suicidal. Like that's like a, those yeah. suicidal. It's like a pun there. I totally. mean, and, and it's not like you have to be, but I found yeah. that, if someone has like a joy, or like they're getting a lot done and yeah. they're well adjusted, and horrible things have happened, and they're like keeping that, they're just maintaining. Sometimes you learn, oh, they don't drink. Interesting, but sometimes they do. But I'm just saying, it's interesting to to learn that about people because some people don't want to talk about. It. And I found on tour, people want to buy me beer, and I say, oh, I'll have a diet coke, thanks. Mm-hmm. And and people respect that. And and the people who don't respect it are people who sometimes have a problem themselves. Exactly.
1: Yeah. The only right? people that ever give a shit are people that need to, uh, to you know, that usually have a problem themselves. And, um, I mean, there's something else you just said that made me think of something. I'm blanking. Oh, and you know, the other thing about it is, like, you, you know, the longevity that you talked about, like it can be difficult if you are a person that drinks like you or I did to have any sort of longevity, mm. but it also really screws up your hearing, you know? I mean, it's, it's not good for your Drinking hearing. screws Drinking, up your hearing. Drinking. Yeah. And a oh. lot of drugs. I mean, I just was, uh, remixing a, a Richard hell record from, from 1981. Woo. That's been redone like three times already. And, and, um, it, it was a really cool project and Nick Sinner from the, yeah, yeah, yeah Yeahs was producing. And I mean, man, like Richard hell, who punk icon, like, started the whole CBGB's movement, essentially. Um, he was, you know, out of his mind shooting coke every 10 minutes when they made that record. Like, I, I you know, everyone around him was was using, and the record, mm. I mean, so much was was horribly done engineering-wise, you know, right. because they could, you know, you don't hear properly. And we're, like, making up for those mistakes, and I find that often. Like, I can tell, like, man, this engineer might have, you know, was clearly not totally honest game when they were doing his his or her games. So
0: so now you are right. Having to. Yeah. Having to make up for these
1: like cokehead mistakes. You know, I mean, I don't want to speak for this engineer, but you know,
0: but but they, yeah, but you're right. If that's the community and that was like, it's interesting also thinking about um, punk rock in New York Mm -hmm. in that era. Mm -hmm. And speaking of which, the older punk era. Didn't you work on a Damned record recently? I did. On your yeah,
1: I, I mixed with Tony um, a, a new Damned record. That's yeah. tight. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. Tony produced it as well. Um, it's cool working with these, you know, these like legends that I like really, you know, worshipped growing up that I never didn't know if they were still alive. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's That's so dope to have like a piece of that. You and know?
0: so I wonder, Aaron. So. This topic, and if it's boring or you don't want to talk about it, we we don't have to. But what can men in the industry do when, like, other men might seem kind of old school or sexist or inappropriate to try to quell that? Because I don't want you to feel like you're a token person answering this question. But, like, as a woman, I'm sure you've experienced like sexism or inappropriate stuff. And Mm -hmm. how can allies, like, Myself and a lot of listeners help fight that, especially in the music industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, my old boss was was real good about that. Tony, like he he's such a you know respected legend in in the industry, and he um, always made sure to let people know that I was there to engineer and that I was you know a lot of people assumed I was his secretary or something like that. And um, sometimes I was in uncomfortable situations and he had to step in and say like, hey, you know, she's she's my engineer. She's really good at what she does. And, um, you know, you you have no right to be saying what you're saying right now. Stuff like that, you know, if you never want to like make, I guess there's times where it could make, make the woman uncomfortable. But I think like inviting women into the studio, you know, and, and listening to women and, and asking what they individually need or how you can how you can help them is, is always a good idea because everyone's different and not just women, mm-hmm. like, you know, trans, you know, people of different gender expressions or, or queer people, or, you know, I mean, I know in your community, there's more diversity, but in, in my music world, there diversity is still a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, just inviting any people in and asking how you, how you can help and how you can support. And, and if you hear someone, you know, just like what, locker room talk whatever that bullshit is like just stop it you know just be like hey like they're actually really good at what they do or like I'm actually uncomfortable by you saying that right now or like this is not how how things go anymore just um, or be
0: like it's yeah or it's 2019 that's not funny yeah you sound yeah. like a boomer that's right. the internet <laughs> that's talk a good, right? that's a good burn yeah. just burn them you know <laughs> and if they're a boomer say you sound like the greatest <laughs> generation you're not so great <laughs> But that's interesting. So, yeah, I, I, I've, sometimes I, and especially on tour, like women tour managers and women and people, trans people, like working and selling merch and in bars. When people are guard is down and they're drunk, they can just be monsters. And totally. I, and I imagine, hopefully, as a producer, people are a little more professional when they know they got to create this album. But I'm sure you've had horror stories, and we don't have to get into it. But weird situations
1: yeah I mean I've had like I've had like cyber bullies that just like hear about me and and then like attack me I had this guy write like a you know multiple page essay to me about how like I shouldn't be wearing makeup or like girls clothes I mean it was just like it's psychotic you know and it's just it's just this extra labor that we have to deal with mm. you know but I'm also like a white woman like there's people that have it a lot harder than I do and I tried to you know be there to lift other people up as well Um, So I think it's, you know, it's on it's on all of us to like help help someone that maybe doesn't have the privilege that we have, you know, and Mm -hmm. and whether that's having a conversation with someone that has some problematic point of views or inviting them into the studio or giving them an opportunity or, or just like listening, like starting with that, you know, and like and having that level of respect is is where we can all start.
0: That's really good.
1: And the high like hire hire them, you know? <laughs> right,
0: right, right. And give them a chance because yeah. Tony gave you a chance. Totally. You came in with the great reel and he was like, All right, this woman is ready. Totally. Um Let's can we talk a little bit about Black Star? Sure. So you Bowie's last record. Well, you worked on with him on a lot of things, but you were really involved in that record, mm-hmm, huh? mm mm-hmm. Did y'all know that he wasn't doing so well or was that
1: yeah. And I don't like want to say a ton on, on that of respect for him, but, um, we did know there was very few people that knew and, and we did know. Um, and it was incredible to see someone with that amount of dedication and want to like create this gift for his fans when he could have just been off on an island, like, you know, enjoying his, the remainder of his time, you know, we did not know uh, the time frame, you know, and we were still hopeful, but, uh, but yeah, it was it was he he pushed himself and was was incredible and and uh you wouldn't have known working with him, you know, other than you know, certain attributes that happen when someone's battling cancer, you know? But uh he was just tough and pushed through and, and so joyful. You know, a lot of people like see this album as this like dark sort of, you know, uh his like um final eulogy some sort of i mean making the album was like everything but it was like so full of light and love and and joy and it was so much fun and so much humor involved you know and um it's funny the Mm. the you know what people will put on something after the fact
0: do you think he knew it was his last record
1: at the time i i uh was hopeful looking back i'm like looking back and, and and looking at those lyrics again and stuff, I'm like, damn. You know, mm-hmm. I I I this is total, you know, I I don't know, but mm-hmm. but damn, I mean, he he was he was thought one step ahead of all of us and I can't help but think now like, you know, a lot of that was on purpose. I think.
0: Cuz he right, he was from another plane. Totally. Totally. Oh, man, and uh, so it must must have been interesting being because people you see his face on shirts all over uh-huh, Brooklyn uh-huh. and you knew him you knew him as David or you yeah. you were a friend and a friend and a colleague of his and it must have been was it weird when he passed everyone was trying to be like oh are you like trying to express empathy but you when someone famous like that passes is it cuz it get annoying or is it did it feel like what was that whole thing like
1: it it was so like truly psychedelic and surreal and bizarre. And and I remember thinking beforehand, you know, man, if this happens, that'll be weird. And I might be annoyed, you know, but the reality of it was like that the year after he, the the following year, like following his passing, I, I was traveling a lot and all over the world, like I was able to hear people like tell me what he meant to them. And it was such a beautiful Experience mm. to know that I knew this person, and and I have you know nothing but wonderful memories of him. I mean, he was so kind, so welcoming to me, so intelligent, so funny, um, so so authentic, and such a fan of music and of other mm. people's artistry. Um, that he he was such a special person in my life, personally, and uh, and to know that he had this impact on so many people was it was actually really beautiful and actually helped with like you know the grieving process and and the magnitude of what had just happened i mean it was bizarre i've never experienced anything like that to be personally grieving someone that the whole whole world is grieving i remember going on facebook and it was just Mm. everything every every site you went on was just nonstop. you know everyone talking about him and i was like damn you know like what an impact this person had I mean, there was this one, like, meme that said, like, how many years, of, how, how old the planet is, and it was like, the world is, I'm totally gonna misquote how right. is, you know, billion years old, and we were lucky enough to be on the planet at the same time as David Bowie, and I was like, damn.
0: And you, you're like, I was lucky enough to work on music with yeah, him. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, you know, it was, it was it was huge. It was, I'm still pinching myself.
0: Yeah, and... there must've been something healing in like grieving a friend, but then seeing that they had had an influence on people on a personal level as well. Yeah. That, that there's in his case, his soul lived on or his energy will live forever. Truly. Yeah. And it's crazy. And that's so, so that's like, must've been a heavy, (laughs) I bet it was like, I bet for like when you, like when you first heard the news, what, like, what was that first few days like?
1: I mean, I was like it was in the middle of the night and a friend called me because uh they had just heard and, and uh none of us I thought it I thought it wasn't true because I assumed like the kind of inner circle would have found out first and then, you know, and, and I started calling Tony, who was like overseas and I had to wake him up in the middle of the night and you mm. know, I wanted to make sure he was okay and um It was, yeah, it was, it was, um, kind of like an out of body experience and the record had just come out, you know, and, and, and I thought I was going to see him again and get to thank him for, you know, really, truly thank him for letting me be a part of it, which I'm, you know, I, I think I did, but not in the way that I would have, you know, wanted to. And what that really Mm. meant for me that, you know, he gave me a shot and, and, uh, it, it was heavy and everywhere I went, the record was playing, you know, um, But it was it was really like a beautiful way to to sort of grieve and and yeah, it goes back to like why we you know, what is our ultimate goal is that we like people hear us and they like feel us and and we live on and we have a legacy, you know, and uh, we and the stories people would tell me about how he, you know, how he changed their lives or saved their lives or made them feel okay being different and all these things. It was like, damn, like that's the goal. You know, and I had a tiny, tiny part in in it, and uh
0: yeah, and that last album made was such an impactful, amazing album, yeah, that I wonder now when you listen back to it, do you so do you hear still hear like the 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 things you mixed and engineered individually, or does it become like we were talking about earlier, this cohesive like painting statue, like how is it now do you ever and do you listen to that record or is it weird
1: i I have listened to it for sure, um, and I have mostly just really good memories about making it, you know, and I'm like, I can remember like, oh, I remember when you know he did that vocal or came up with that line, or I remember when you know Donnie the sax player played that in the studio and this funny joke you know stuff like that um but I am I'm able to appreciate it as like a body of work that was you know that was all came from David's head you know and it was um and it, it's what it just step back and then look at it as a cohesive piece of work Is like whoa that was you know really really brilliant I, I saw it come together piecemeal and working through the process but um you know, to be able to step back, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to like, even listen to music period right. nowadays. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm always dissecting stuff and I, I believe Tell I'll always, yeah, yeah. to I mean, you, yeah. we don't hear music like our, our, you know, parents, you know, I mean, my parents aren't musicians. I don't think MC, MC Bob and DJ Kathy. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, they're not professional musicians. Yeah,
1: yeah. They, they hear music differently than we do. We'll always be able to right. pick out. You know, I mean, they can't. Most people can't pick out a bass line. You know, and it's like, that's true. Oh, whoa, they're like, oh, can you hear separate parts of this? Song? I'm like, yeah, yeah, what?
0: And I could, and you probably could tell m- what mics they used.
1: Well, not. I could. I can tell when something's something's off or something. You know, I can. I can venture to guess sometimes.
0: Um, can I let me ask you something that like. I, that you I'm really curious to hear your opinion on this you've worked with so many artists over the years what seeing Bowie's process what made him different and what like did he do any did he approach recording differently than other people or like like how was this process different from other artists you work with
1: um I mean, what struck me about him it's not different from everyone, but he didn't take himself too seriously. You know, he knew to like, kind of like pause for a bit and like watch some funny YouTube videos, you know, stuff like that, and really just enjoy the process. He also knew, you know, he hired he hired the best, you know, the best people. He hired the- he had the best musicians, the best producer, you know, and he knew he knew when to let them do their thing, which I think a lot of artists forget sometimes for the sake of Maybe ego or maybe fear, um and he didn't have that mm. uh, he also wasn't self referential at all, which I found very interesting. He was never talking about ways he did things before or anything like that. he was talking about what he loved about all different sorts of stuff, and you know he was willing to hear my opinion. I was the youngest person in the room, and he wanted to know he always wanted to know what I thought, you know what I thought wow. should be done to it, and I think that's why he. Was the artist that he was, and had such a long career that was, you know, pretty much maintained um, and known as this person that took on so many different genres and and styles because he was always, you know, wanting to look at the youngest person in the room or the most different person in the room and see what they were doing and and knew how to make that, you know, into something of his own. Um, those are things that really struck me about him.
0: That's cool. And through his career, like being influenced by people like Trent Reznor and Mm -hmm. the different eras of music, which kept him relevant. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting that you have this personal anecdote of, yeah, is he really respected and valued what you had to say. Totally. pretty dope, Aaron.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was was very dope.
0: So what are you working on now? Can you talk about anything you're working on?
1: Yeah. So I just did that. I did, just did the mix with uh, Richard Hell and Nick Zinner of Destiny Street, which was really cool to kind of take this, you know, record by a, punk icon that was recorded back then and, um, give it fresh ears and, and, uh, but kind of, you know, make it sound like something was rebirthed in 2019, essentially. It's, Mm. it's, um, I'm I'm excited about it. It's going to come out on record store day, I think. And that was so cool to work with like two of my idols, like Nick Zinner is like, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite guitarists of all time. And the yeah, yeah, yeah has meant so much to me um and it was it was it was so cool to to see them work together as well um yeah and and i'm doing a i'm doing actually like a lot of mixing right now like talking about how we stay afloat in this industry you know and um uh i've also produced a couple tracks for um sad 13 which is sadie from speedy ortiz's solo project Mm. which is some cool stuff and um yeah and then like I said, a lot of mixing. I'm doing a lot of kind of different stuff right now. I'm trying to sort of broaden my horizons of who and what I work with. Um, I want to be more open minded to looking at different genres and and seeing you know how I can how I can bring what I do and combine it with something that's outside of well, you know what I'm, my comfort zone I guess because it's really it's the same skill set you know it's just different styles of music. So
0: that's interesting you say that because. Even with different instruments, the end goal is still the same. You're saying
1: sure, and if you've been doing it long enough, like you, you know how you know, and you know what many different instruments sound like. You know how to do you know engineer well or or mix them well. And um, I just want to like learn more and and be exposed to more. And I was in a very like indie rock. Well, I did a lot of I did a lot of other types of records too, I guess, but you know, it, it's the same, it's the same fundamental skill set, but it's changing your idea about how things are supposed to sound. So like, for instance, like the level that a kick drum has in a rock track is different than what it's going to have in a hip hop track and just stuff like that. Of just retuning your ears to like, mm. oh, actually like, you know, what's, you know, in, in a pop, which pop in this, you know, any popular music, which could be rock or hip hop or, or, you know, country, whatever, like, the lead vocal is is king but then i just did this record with like this experimental artist where the lead vocal was just another one of the instruments so it's about finding that balance and carving out space for the other instruments more so than the lead vocal which you know sort of denies logic of a lot of other genres and everything kind of calls for something different and it's fun to like it's just it's the same skill set it's just like re opening your mind a little more i guess
0: you it's interesting how your discipline to become like a flexible, happy, like (laughs) sober person is about, has been about like finding balance and order from the chaos, right? Yeah. And so people come to you with like, and I, and I wonder, I'm sure this happens a lot for you and other mixers. You get the sessions, but you weren't there for the recording, right? Right. right. And so then you're kind of like trying to decipher the energy of what was in the room and try to like put it together. And that must be, that must be fun, but also sometimes like. A totally different thing than being there from the start, right?
1: Totally. And it's always, there's so much value into being there from the start and and being informed about what the intention is of the artist and of the song and being there for little passing comments where the drummer's like, oh, you know, the snare would sound tight if we put like a slap back on, you know I mean? Just little comments like that, that the file away. And you're like, oh yeah, that does fit the arrangement. But then when I'm sent files and I have no idea what went on, it can be a real challenge. And that comes down to communication with the artist and being able to translate what they're what 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 they want and what they're saying because you know most people don't come from a engineering background and i don't expect them to and i'm all about like describe it in words that make sense to you like if you want to give me like what color is this song you know like
2: mm. what
1: where do you see, like, what's the music video gonna, you know, what do you envision the music video look like? Because that can inform what I'm going to make it sound like, you know, if they envision they're in a field and singing, and there's like, you know, stars all around, they're like, okay, like, I get how that sounds, you know, Um, rather than trying to expect them to speak my language. Um, I also like with mixing, pretty strict on like, I don't want the mixes to be attended for for the first few rounds, like I kind of need to do my thing and focus when I have like the artist there, mm. it's, it causes problems for kind of just my process of like, getting things kind of where they need to be doing my piece and then inviting the artist in for feedback and for changes.
0: You're like a sculptor.
1: Yeah. And no. I need like right. a minute, you know, to, uh... and, some, and some artists are insistent on being there the whole time. And it's, it's, it's tough for me
0: yeah oh gosh you know i've never sat in on a ever in a on a mixing Mm -hmm. session where i've been trying to give i've been there where artists where producers mixing a track but where they want me to like work with them on and i could see how that would be annoying if that if you're in in the flow and they're like yo i'm too quiet I'm my voice too quiet you're like give me that note later
1: it's not sure it's not even it's not even necessarily annoying even if they're quiet it's something about like that's my like weird creative process where like someone wouldn't want you to watch them write, you know, when they're still like there, it takes a little while for them to want you to hear the song that they're working on. Right. You know, like that's kind of like how it is. It's like, almost like I can't get into my zone when I know someone else is there watching. Cause I might try seven different things before I land on the right, you know, reverb for something, or or I yeah. might try the, you know, I might, I might want to explore a certain route and then go back from it. And when you have someone Standing over you, that's nervous about how their song's going to turn out. You feel a little bit less free to explore, and and um and also like there's stuff that ar- the artist doesn't want to hear, like you fixing their vocals or <laughs> right.
0: That right, it's the energy thing too. Yeah, they're nervous about it. Yeah, it's that's interesting, Aaron. I wanted to end with a question, which I'm sure you get asked all the time, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What would you tell a young Gen Z person who wants to be a producer mm-hmm. that what can they do to like take the steps to try to maybe one day reach the level of success you have? And is there advice you would give them?
1: I say like find your community and start working with them. Like that's the most important thing is to find your community, your niche, what you do really well, what's really cool about you and, and focus on that um, and and build from there. You know what I mean? All these like, there's so many stories of people coming up with people that, from their communities, you know, like they happen to produce the record of their buddy who blew up overnight, you know, and and it's, um, you know, it's not always the end goal, but I think that's the most important mm. part. What you spoke to, like, that's the coolest thing about music is we have this like community of friends that we get to like work with, and that's and that's so tight and uh, so like a scene, so like yeah, fight yeah. your scene. That's step yeah. one for sure. And then and then just you know, there's so much information out there and you can find so much on youtube or tutorials about how to do stuff but get yourself into any sort of studio situation or get yourself at home set up and start really setting up microphones and learning about how they sound and playing around and like just use your ears you know your ears will tell you a lot more than than any youtube tutorial can and and you can read and watch all you want but until you're putting this stuff into practice you're not really gonna gonna learn it
0: Because you're going to do, like, with songwriting, I'm sure you'll have 100 bad mixes till you have, like, start making great ones. Totally. You got to write those 100 bad songs, maybe 500 bad songs.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I used to have, like, 15 mix passes. Now I do usually cap out at three. You know, it's it's a. That's tight. Yeah.
0: Do you wear ear protection at shows? Always. Me too. High five. High five. I think if that. Like, nerds. If I hadn't done that, I read an interview with Adam in his package, and he talked about how. That was important for any touring artist. Absolutely. And because I've worn earplugs every time I walk in a venue. Every time I hear someone sound checking, my hearing isn't as bad as it would have been.
1: Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I know people that are like nearly deaf, and they're trying to still work, and it's it's kind of heartbreaking. You as can't a producer, get that back. yeah.
0: Wow, yeah. That's like a painter not being able to see.
1: Totally, totally. Um, and musicians that can't hear for shit—that sucks. Yeah. It's your whole life. So
0: drummers, especially, be careful. Yeah, oof. So do you, so when you're mixing, I always wondered this, do you try to, some mixers mix loud, some producers, and mixing engineers mix loudly. Like what, how about you?
1: I do not mix loudly. I mix quiet as quietly, you know, and it's, sometimes it's important to get it. I'm usually at like a comfortable level. Um, sometimes it's important to make it really quiet so you can, and then you really hear what's popping out the most. Like a lot of mm. times like you turn it down and make sure the lead vocals the thing that's sticking out the most, you can really hear like any real balance issues, but Whenever I have to crank it up for an artist, I'm like cringing because I just don't don't like it loud. Yeah, (laughs) it's 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 difficult to maintain. You get ear fatigue, you know, for one thing, and it's it's not as accurate of a way to listen.
0: Right, and it's and most people are going to listen like on their computer speakers anyway. Right, so you want to mix for uh, for that. That's that's cool. So that means you'll you won't destroy your ears mixing. Totally, that's good. Totally. Um, Aaron, where can fans of the pod? follow you on social media do you do you have or where can people learn more about you is a better question
1: man I'm not I took down I need to redo my website so I just say find me on Instagram for now it's at Aaron Tonkin T-O-N-K-O-N
0: and people can see your process and your life
1: yeah yeah I can see what I'm up to and my dogs and uh, and life and um, once I start launching this company I'll provide more information for that because I think it's going to help a lot of people and really help our community. So that's amazing. Stay tuned.
0: And if anyone out there is looking for a great producer, they can DM you or sure. if they have Skrill, have cheddar, they need to invest.
1: Sure. Or you know, let me know or or you know, email my manager. <laughs> there you
0: go. <laughs> okay. And okay, cool. Um Aaron, this has been great. Thanks. It's been
1: great, Andrew.
0: I want but hold on, where can I find your manager's info?
1: Oh, I mean, you just just find me on Instagram or email. My email's on there. Okay,
0: okay. Email there, yeah. me. I
1: mean, if you want to be taken seriously, send an email. You know, like, <laughs> don't slide
0: in them DMs. Don't slide
1: into them DMs. That's for commenting on pictures and and content, not for work inquiries.
0: Speaking of DMs, you know that's how Ashley and I first communicated after meeting. Instagram DMs. Oh, really? Because I she, think I knew that. You knew that she tagged me in a haiku haiku, and then we hung out that night. <laughs>
1: And she tried to pull it off like there was nothing going on for too long. And I I knew that shady, shady <laughs> wife of yours was up to something. Did
0: you know she had come out to visit me?
1: Yeah, no, I knew that. And she slept on the couch.
0: Right. And I told Claire, but Claire she didn't was like, know.
1: She's like, oh, I knew that. Well, I, well I you know, t- oh, boy. don't tell Claire, but I knew that. But uh, she was trying to pull it off like you all were
0: just... Friends. friends now we're married
1: now you're married and your
0: speech was so good at the wedding
1: i just i will never forget seeing you her ashley walking down the aisle looking at you and you were crying and i lost it
0: <laughs> that it was beautiful i know so it was during during the dress rehearsal it was like or the yeah the rehearsal the day before it was like oh wow it's emotional and then the next during the wedding it hit me but your yeah. your speech was a, was a highlight and um it's cool that through music and life and everything, having friends that you connect with who are who are in your life, in the business, and outside, it's like those are rare and special. And I consider you Absolutely. a special friend, Aaron.
1: It's a true gift, your mm-hmm. special friend too, Andrew. You always bring joy to my life.
0: Thanks, Aaron. All right, cool. Well, we've this has been a good long interview, but um, I, oh, Aaron, what should we end with? What song? I always like to have guests end with something they've worked on And you can tell me later if I'm putting you on the spot. Oh
1: my god. Um, man, let me tell you later. Okay. I have to think about that.
0: And then I'll introduce so this is the song I talked about in the intro. (laughs) (laughs) Here it is. All right, bye. Beautiful stories. Beautiful inspiration. Thank you, Aaron. That was great. Ladies and gentlemen, now it's time for the, the Patreon of, the, of week. the week. Let's see who left a message.
2: Hi, Lars, or Andrew, as I know you. I am proud to be one of your first Patreon supporters. But Sam is your mom, that would make sense. I have loved listening to your Patreon songs, reading your studio diaries, listening to your podcasts, and going to your concerts. I remember going to one of your concerts and putting my hand out to be stamped. The person at the door said, no need to stamp your hand. We know who you are. I had to chuckle. Was that because I was one of the oldest at the concert or because I was your mom? It has been a pleasure and an honor to grow up with you, and I have loved all of the podcasts. I have especially loved listening to those with your school and music friends. I know them all, and listening to you interact with them has been such a delight. I've learned much, some backstories I did not know. I guess a mom just doesn't know everything that goes on. And it has been such a pleasure to hear about how each friend and colleague has followed his own path to develop his creativity. Thank you for enriching my world and helping me find my path to my own creativity. I remember the day you just said to me, Just do it, Mom. That is exactly what you are doing, and I am so proud of you. It is a pleasure to be your mom. Keep on sharing your joy and chuckles through the world. I love you, Mom.
0: Thanks, Mom. I love you, too. I appreciate you calling in and giving me that beautiful story. And I'm glad to be your son. And I know you have a million MCLR shirts, but guess what? You just got one more. Next week, we have the great Luke Ski, who's a parody artist, a comedian, an animator, a great dude. We talk about his struggles, his role in the Dr. Demento Funny Music Project-inspired movement of art and music, and we talk about his life in LA. So check that out. Aaron, thanks for being on the show. We'll see y'all next week. Peace.